Welcome to Ascending Olympus, the Edge of the Crowds Olympics and Paralympics podcast. I'm your host, Jackie. And tonight, now that the Paralympics are all done and dusted, I'm joined by Jason and Michelle. So how are the two of you tonight? I'm doing quite well, yeah. It's been a little while now since the Paralympics ended and um, I'm sort of missing it um, because you've just had this wave of the Winter Olympics and Winter Paralympics within a couple of months and now it's like, you know, what else is there? But obviously we will be talking about all that and a lot more tonight, so looking forward to that. I can imagine no one more grateful than Jackie that the Olympics and the Paralympics are done and dusted from Tokyo all the way to Beijing, honestly. That's not true. I'm sad. Like, it's one of those things where I'm like, I've put so much work in over the past, well, 12 months really at this point across two websites um, and being like, I miss it. And then at the same time, I'm like, ah, sleep, like going to bed and not thinking about like what sport is on tomorrow regarding the Olympics or the Paralympics and being like, oh man, there's medal chances for Australia today. What do I do if we win a medal? (laughs) What do I write about this person? Um, so there is like that upside, I guess. Are you looking but, forward to the time zone um, absolute wreck that will be the next two Olympics though? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no way. At least it's like the early morning stuff will be our late at night. So like that works for current me that is a night owl, but in two and a half years time, will I still be a night owl? And in four years time, will I still be a night owl? Who knows? I don't even know if I'm just going to be functioning by um, Birmingham like in July of this year for the Commonwealth Games because whilst there's no Olympics and Paralympics, at least we've got a Com Games to tide us over. Yeah, no, don't worry, Jackie. I fully believe that you will be uh, on the ground in both Paris and Italy. <laughs> oh, the dream, the dream. But we'll go back to the Paralympics and actually talk about that closing ceremony because just as the opening ceremony was beautiful and elegant, um, this was that as well. And I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I did nearly cry twice, but that's because I'm a baby and anytime they like show the agitas on someone's hand, I'm like, oh my God. And this time it was a child. So <laughs> I think that's more on me than on like the actual production of the ceremony. But what did you guys think? Yeah, I thought it was a really good spectacle. Um, you know, it combines so much of what uh, the Paralympics means and um, obviously they just tied it back to uh, the host country as well and um, through all sort of manner of you know lights sounds uh, projections just the sort of the dances as well and just yeah all the performances sort of all came together um, and then you and then that was obviously accompanied by uh, the individual nations and their flag bearers too but I think um, what I really enjoyed most from the closing ceremony is just, yeah, the use of like their projections really like that were on the ground um, of the stadium. And, you know, so they sort of used like that um, circular type thing in the middle and um, used that for projections, which included the opening performance of having a digital projection of a giant vinyl record. And that was accompanied by uh, harps as well. And then, Throughout that, they also had projections of um, the pictograms of uh, a couple of the sports. So that that was etched into the vinyl record as well. And um, throughout that as well, you know, moments of the Paralympic Games were 
um, projected as well. So it just sort of all came together in terms of, yeah, like I said, those lights, those sounds, um, and just the moments from the Paralympic Games. Yeah, definitely. It felt like a really, like, tightly produced closing ceremony as well, which I think can also be said about the opening ceremony where like everything was just happening and it never felt like it was dragging or anything. And definitely you could feel that there was like a lot of effort and planning put into making it work that way, especially since there was such a reliance on tech for a lot of it to work smoothly. And like, we've all seen what tech can do to us, which is make us go into a rage basically. So it was really kind of, great that they could pull that all off um I really did have a great time with all the outfits and looks that we saw throughout the entire thing those like blue and lime ombre um costumes are gonna haunt me in my dreams while I just imagine them like like undulating and floating around I guess as a big incohesive um mass um rotating on your funky little turntable but also I think I really did like the dancing at the end after the fireworks with when you had the waltzers and you still had the drummers and I'm like excellent drumming and waltzing at the same time my favorite pastime and then once again we got colorful unitards again so like everyone (laughs) was there it was a party if you ask me Uh, yeah I really appreciated how the ending connected to the opening ceremony like they brought back the Paralympic waltz they also the same way that they did the adjectives in the opening ceremony they did in the closing ceremony which that's one of those things that seems obvious to do but at the same time they did have it in lights in the background um, that you could see in shot for a lot of the closing ceremony so they didn't necessarily have to but then they added things to it like the timpani drums um, and also just more people being involved in the waltz because you also saw people that were more a part of the chorus um dancing together during that section of the waltz when they didn't necessarily have to maybe they weren't actually supposed to and they were just meant to be like standing there smiling and swaying but they were either like waltzing together or like a different shot they cut and they were (laughs) running around in a circle together that kind of thing and it's just like it add something because the same way in the opening ceremony I'm pretty sure it was of the Olympics um with the little kids that were just playing it's just like ah it's a really human moment rather than a overproduced kind of moment which it just as easily could be like just do what you want have fun like and it's still produced but doesn't feel that way as much so I'd always have kids doing ring a ring a rosy at a closing <laughs> ceremony of the Olympics I'm just saying yeah Exactly. But I thought I'd ask you guys, because you didn't actually get to come on during the games at all. Um, what were some of your favourite moments or events from these Winter Olympics? Once again, I am here to stand the meteoric rise of Cheryl Rong. Like, <laughs> no one can take this away from me. I think that she's just a very, very, very elite lantern um, who also is doing axles at these events, I see. So really just kind of following in the footsteps of what Bing Duen Duen gave us. Yeah. Uh, no, always, always love seeing um, them. But I think for me, yeah, my favourite moment of the game probably came from the alpine skiing. I know that there were a lot of, um, you know, events in that particular sort of field. Um, but I think for me it was a lot um, to do with, like, family as well. Um, so we had a couple of instances where, a couple of the guides for a couple of the athletes were family. Um, and so we look at 
um, Neil Simpson, who became his country's first ever gold medalist. And he did it alongside his brother, um, who guided him down the slopes. But I think, but I think another special and memorable moment between families was um, Belgian para alpine skier Linda Lebon. So um, she's fifty-seven years old, which is a really good, um, you know, feat to appear at a Winter Olympic Games um, in the first place. But she performed, or she went into these games without her usual guide, and there was a last-minute replacement. Um, and it became her daughter, um, Ulta Gallot. Um, so stepped into that role to guide her mother down to down the slopes and um, the pair finished in sixth place. And it just became this sort of wonderful, sort of unforgettable um, Paralympic moment that is sort of etched in people's minds and obviously my mind. Yeah, the Alpine scene, obviously, we've talked about the Eichmann siblings at length, but just the sheer amount of family moments in it was heartwarming to say the least I also this is less of a like heartwarming thing more of a funny thing but whenever you put the curling on you could always tell when the Chinese were playing even if you weren't watching the Chinese feet uh, like the Chinese match because you could just hear them shouting at their rocks um, and that's one of those things where it's like it's not like they have a sweeper to like be shouting like commands at it's just them cheering their rock to make it into the circle at a different point whatever obviously it's a strategy that works but it is also like a bizarre thing to see when it's like your shouting can't change anything <laughs> but we like, you're just cheering on an inanimate object but still i love it <laughs> and it's, it's funny sim- it's yeah it's something similar to like turning the controller in like something like Mario Kart it's like it won't help in any form in the game but (laughs) it's fun yeah and then there's also like sticking with Chinese teams I mean just China winning that bronze medal from the clouds almost in the para hockey because I don't think at least I didn't see that happening at the start of these games I very much thought it was going to be another case of like the United States and Canada and then South Korea and Italy probably because Italy was fourth place in 2018 but at the same time like China just dominated their group stage and then came in got smashed by the United States in the semi-final to be fair beat Korea convincingly so um despite all of their penalty minutes that they ended up suffering yeah really good effort by trying to um get that far and when you know a lot of people might not have had them at that sort of level or uh, predicted to finish that high and so obviously yeah to come away with a result like that would be really special for the team yeah and i think also like a special thing from these games was just the incredible performances from the Ukrainian athletes, um, especially in the cross-country skiing and the biathlon. Um, It's one of those situations where it's like considering everything that is going on externally from these games in their lives. And there are athletes that like have lost their homes due to bombings because of the war in Ukraine currently. Um, It is understandable if they were distracted and instead they were winning gold medals. Um, They were representing their country incredibly. Um, And it is a little bit of a jab at the Russians and the Belarusians who were not allowed to compete because of what is going on politically. Um, That like, 
hey, even if you were here, we still could have had three podium sweeps plus a relay team medal plus another like a dozen medals. Yeah, I know, right? And I think, yeah, despite the circumstances, you know, every sort of athlete from Ukraine was, you know, it showed in their performances that, you know, they really wanted to be there and compete for their country and be sort of a powerful force in all the events that they were competing in. And um, yeah, they ended up, in the Nordic events, they ended up winning 11 gold medals and 29 medals in total. And like you said, um, three biathlon podium sweeps. So it's just incredible effort. Exactly. I've got a bit of a bone pick with you though, Jason, because before the game started, you were like, Team USA, they're going to be the top of the medal table. Um, I don't think any of us saw China doing what China did. I think that considering how little they've competed internationally for the past two years, um, their performance was a big shock. But at the same time, the United States were only fifth on the medal table. So how do you answer for your terrible prediction? Yeah. um, And China finished the medal table. Um, a fair way in front of the Ukraine um, who finished in second two and I'm pretty sure um, in that um, original or that episode where I did make that prediction I did say that you know obviously um, you know China would have the most competitors and the most chances to win medals because of that Um, but no I still made the prediction that they would not finish first and uh, so, yeah, I've got a bit of egg on my face, um, obviously regretting that prediction now. And, um, yeah, well done to China. <laughs> I mean, I agreed with you. Like, to be, to be fair, I did agree with you. But at the same time, I was just like, probably would have agreed with anything because I had no idea before the games. I just didn't think it was going to be Australia, for obvious reasons, or China, because one gold medal to having 60 medals total that just doesn't happen (laughs) exactly uh but i thought we'd move on to the news because we're gonna touch away from paralympics and get back to having news portions of our show of ascending olympus now uh and we'll start with australian success because jakara anthony uh first competition back since becoming a winter olympic gold medalist one gold in the dual moguls event in Italy over the weekend. Um, she's currently number one in the world in the dual moguls, which is basically where you go head to head. It is a duel rather than like two people competing together kind of thing. They're competing against one another. Uh, and she beat Perrine Lafont in the final, which Perrine is probably the top competitor at least in the dual moguls for Jakara. Jakara is the best by a fair bit. Um, and then in the in the singles, it's a little bit more even as far as who the top three are. But Jakara is now potentially next weekend going to win three crystal globes because the dual moguls crystal globe, that's pretty much sewn up. Perrine Lafont, she's got to win and then also hope Jakara not only misses the podium, but probably finishes in about so doesn't make it past the quarterfinals meanwhile in the uh overall moguls crystal globe uh jakara is also in first right now for that but 
poor results in either the dual moguls or the singles moguls could end up affecting where she ends up finishing. It's still pretty solidly in first, though. It's like a 60-point difference. Um, and for a win, you get 100 points, but for a second, you get 80 points in an event. So, you know. And then she's also sitting in third in the singles moguls, but that third isn't that much. So if she wins next weekend and beats Perrine Lafont, she will finish ahead of Perrine Lafont. But uh, Anri Kawamura, who is currently actually in the top spot, Jakara needs to finish no higher than third if she wins or in the case of like she finishes second, she needs neither Lafont or Kawamura to finish in first, plus she needs Kawamura to finish fourth or fifth. <laughs> Yeah, there's still a lot of variations and it's like, you know, is anything really sort of set in stone um, for some of these? But um, you think that with the form that she's in, um, with obviously the um, gold medal in the Olympics and then all of these World Cup events that um, Jakara Anthony did just won't slow down and continue to place, um, continue to podium and, uh, yeah, hopefully take out these three crystal globes yeah um it's great to see that like from the olympics she's still able to keep the momentum up it almost feels like you know she's like attained this olympic gold but hasn't let it really get to her head she's just kind of vibing along doing the rest of her season as she would in a non-olympic season almost um trying to kind of get all these um, to to continually put out good performances at the later events in the season, which is obviously already a slog as is, uh, but especially after you've been preparing for an Olympics. Um, I guess it's, it also does seem like while we are all chattering about this potential for like three crystal globes and stuff, it does see, feel like she's just kind of taking each event as it goes. She's not just like, ooh, let's do this three crystal globes. She's just like, ooh, there's one. Ooh, there's another. Ooh, another one. Like it's just going to come along. And I feel like that kind of environment, hopefully for her, does mean that she doesn't feel as pressured and each kind of additional crystal globe just becomes like a really pleasant uh, bonus onto <laughs> the Olympic gold, basically. They're competing in the French Alps this weekend and like her take on it was more like, I'm just keen to see the French Alps. I haven't gotten to be there a whole lot. And I was like, interesting approach. Kind of <laughs> respect that. It means that you're only focusing on it when you need to focus on it. But at the same time, um, should she even podium in either the dual moguls or the singles next weekend, she will officially have Australia's most successful World Cup season for a winter athlete with I think it's 11 podiums because last weekend with the dual moguls she equaled Britt Cox and Alyssa Camplin which excellent company um to with 10 podiums in a single season so at 23 that's pretty big achievement especially when you can do more over the next four years yeah absolutely like yeah she's got a chance to have that record out right now and um you know she's obviously equal with um Britt and Alyssa and so yeah with a couple of events remaining in the season um she's got every chance to um you know sort of take that record from them and like you said she is still really young and sort of at the sort of start of her career as well and there's so much more that's sort of possible for her um 
and yeah, hopefully she can really get those results that she wants and um, the results that, you know, we want to see from her too. After the Olympics, there will obviously be so many more eyes on her just because there are so many more eyes on the Olympics than any other moguls event one would imagine generally has. So hopefully this kind of continual, um, these continual achievements means that her name remains in kind of the sport consciousness a lot longer and therefore kind of in the lead up people will still be like oh I remember that name oh that name's familiar she's still around Mm." (laughs) and that's always going to be good for us exactly I thought we'd move on to a serious topic uh it's back to the Russia Ukraine war but in the sense of how the sporting bodies have reacted since Russia invaded and on the most part it was let's ban them (laughs) just no Russian athletes competing also no Belarusian athletes competing but like less prominent kind of thing with with the Belarusian athletes because they are not as inclined to win medals and podium and obviously the Russian uh, government has had plenty to say about it Um, a lot of oh well we'll just make our own competition kind of talk um, which we're gonna see with the figure skating at the very least because they have decided to put a competition with essentially the best Russian uh, figure skaters going up against one another on the exact weekend and probably in the exact same time slots as figure skating worlds um deliberately so like they've even admitted they were just like is it is it intentional I don't know that's up for you to decide and it's like we know what you're doing don't don't front but that doesn't mean we're not going to see Russian athletes in the sense of there are a lot of athletes competing around the world and I call them secret Russians that are born in Russia live in Russia train in Russia but compete for Georgia or compete for Poland or in this case it won't be compete for Belarus but compete for Azerbaijan like it's not like we're not going to see Russian talent um and some athletes that are younger may choose to change their nationality as far as like who they compete for sporting wise by using that dual citizenship or using that my grandmother's from Armenia kind of excuse um to compete over the next year or two, depending on how long the uh, war continues on for. Yeah, the the sporting bodies also have varying rules when it comes to other Russian personnel at their competitions and events. So especially for these secret Russians, but also just like other athletes that have Russian coaches, it becomes difficult if their coach isn't around or can't be as present at the events that they're attending to be with them. Um, and to give them guidance in a person-to-person way, it will probably be virtual or that their federation will have to find someone who's from the country that they're representing. So you'll see probably Georgian officials with Georgian um, secret Russians instead, that kind of thing, um, which does still kind of put a bit of pressure and maybe put these athletes a bit at a disadvantage, but um, still does mean that you do still get to see um, the talent that... Um, it kind of gets produced and nurtured within kind of the the Russian sporting mega factory. Yeah, there's no doubt that there's like obviously a lot of talent um, from Russian athletes in a lot of different sports and um, a lot of these Russian athletes will be sort of like living in other countries too and perhaps have dual citizenship as well. And so 
you know, yeah, there is a very real and interesting possibility that they might sort of take advantage of that um, and in order to compete um, at various events around the world. And so, um, yeah, I think it's sort of interesting in terms of, yeah, their own sort of participation or their own sort of will to uh, change, you know, how they sort of um, relate, I guess, to their country of birth and the country that they grew up in and um, I think, it, yeah, it all just sort of relates back to I want to compete. But I think, too, that, you know, while some people might not be entirely sort of like clued on um, to where sort of like an athlete's sort of origin was, um, you know, some people also might be and some people might take, um, you know, a bit, might, you know, think sort of favorably about that as true. So I think that even if that does happen, then there'll be sort of some problems um, resulting from that too. It's also fair to say that like obviously Russia will probably be in, probably be inclined to uh, set up and arrange a lot more uh, domestic competitions for these Russian athletes and obviously with sports that they're known to excel in this should come as no surprise like they've been doing this and they've done this throughout COVID as well with the lockdowns and the travel restrictions anyway it's just the timing that makes it very suspicious for select events in terms of the political messaging that's coming across but for smaller sports with Russian athletes that kind of are also um, unable to compete um, in internationally, it'll be interesting to see how they go about that and what kind of attention those athletes get um, in, uh, just in terms of the support from Russians, but also perhaps support from um, uh, the international kind of audience when seeing uh, these athletes still trying to kind of sustain uh, their kind of competitive momentum throughout the coming kind of months and years. It would not surprise me, even in sports that are big in Russia, if we do see defections by way of not necessarily uh, giving up their citizenship, but changing where they train. So they're training based in the United States or that sort of thing. Um, just as a way of making money because if these uh, if the Russian federations are not able to make money via international competitions it does become very difficult for those coaches to then subsequently make money uh, beyond like exhibition shows if they are the artistic sports like gymnastics and figure skating but not every sport has the advantage that figure skating and gymnastics has um also, at the same time, though, like the International Gymnastics Federation, FIG, um, they were cowardly is the nice way to put it. Um, considering the International Paralympic Committee decided like two days out, they were just like, nah, you're not competing. Um, it does turn out that part of that reason is because some nations were threatening to boycott. Those nations have not been named, but you would assume that those are nations with sway at the same time, even if the Russian Paralympic Committee was still not competing under its own flag or anything like that. It's still, you've got to have some sort of political power to be like, well, we're just not going to compete. Our athletes aren't going to compete. So you would assume that maybe the United States is one of those countries that threatened the boycott. But again, that's speculation. On the flip side, the International uh, Gymnastics Federation had their worlds at right about the same time that the Paralympics started and they allowed the Russian athletes to compete and as a result there was some controversy regarding the fact that the 
uh, one of the Russian athletes wore on his uniform the Z symbol that is becoming quite synonymous with this Russian army um, and will very likely historically end up becoming considered a hate symbol. A lot of people already do consider it a hate symbol. Um, and then the then Fig had to like rush to like make a statement to be like these actions are unacceptable and they put themselves at that risk like themselves like Fig has no one to blame but themselves for that happening because the whole well how could they have known and it's like well because sports political it's always been political and a lot of these Russian athletes not all of them because there have been some that have been speaking out are quite nationalistic and will show support for their army we've also seen it happening in russian national hockey matches like it's not something that is a hundred percent completely unexpected um and fig could have avoided that happening in the first place by just not letting them compete especially since gymnastics is so intertwined with kind of the political system in Russia in various ways. It's very heavily state-sponsored, obviously. Um, so they must know to some degree how the politics is impacting them as athletes as well. Like you can't expect, like in many cases, the, the, the impression that you want to give maybe that like athletes only focus on their sport and on their training and what's happening in their sport. But, you know, they also travel internationally. They go to a lot of different places. They meet a lot of people from different nations. So they obviously have some kind of awareness of the kind of diplomatic nature of um, that comes around with sport. Yeah, and they know what they're doing. When, like, when athletes do stuff like that, it's the same as taking a knee or um, doing the black power fist, which there's nothing wrong with those sort of things. It's very different when you wear a hate symbol though. Um, is you know what you're doing by doing that. Even a small act of wearing a pin on an Olympic podium is considered controversial or political. So you can't tell me that you, an athlete who has to learn 150 different protocol rules for both podiums and just even competing, doesn't know what you're doing by sticking something like that on your uniform. Yeah, I think it all comes back to this sort of notion of, yeah, not, you know, um, sort of like federations or events such as the Olympic and Paralympic Games um, and they're sort of not wanting to athletes to make a stand or a big statement and especially on the podium too and especially um, when this guy was also unable to wear the Russian flag as it had already been banned from the um, International Gymnastics Federation and you know even that um, you know, sort of thinking that he wasn't allowed to do this, but he still wanted to find a way to sort of, um, you know, still sort of relate back to back to Russia and sort of like what was happening in Russia and maybe his like thoughts and views and opinions on Russia and make a statement that way. But um, obviously, yeah, it's a bit of a indecent um, signal and, um, you know, sort of form of protest I guess um to make and so he's obviously rightly been um condemned and um have all the repercussions uh thrown at him and it's especially egregious given that Ilya Kovtun was at this event um uh, representing Ukraine and did exceptionally at this event he won three medals all up um in the event in this event but specifically uh won gold uh in in the event against the Russian that did have the Z on their uniform. So 
it does feel especially much more targeted that way, uh, given that, um, first of all, there were Ukrainian athletes present when this, uh, when this Russian athlete made this statement, but also that, you know, they were pretty close rivals by the sounds of it in terms of the fact that it wasn't just, you know, one athlete being particularly outstanding, making a statement, and then the other athlete being a little bit lower in the ranks in any kind of way. That dynamic feels a lot more charged in this instance. Yeah, and the next stage, because it's a World Cup series, um, is this weekend from March 17th to March 20th. Um, I am still not sure as to whether the Russian athletes are competing, but they sure as hell should not be, um, just based on that act alone. But then on top of what ended up happening, and I know that people don't necessarily agree with collective punishment, but this is a situation where it's like, sport is important to the Russian government and by that way you do actually need to unfortunately punish Russian athletes that athlete in question should not be allowed to compete the full stop but the other Russian athletes do as a consequence also need to suffer some level of punishment but I think yeah I think I do think that the um, Russian athletes, like, you know, as a collective do need to suffer the punishment. And I know that it was just one person who made this statement, but, you know, even if you sort of suspend one person, um, it's not, it might not stop others from making the same statement either. Um, should they be in a position to, and especially in a position like on a podium and next to a Ukrainian athlete, like that's just obviously the worst um, of the whole sort of situation um, that it could sort of escalate to. And so I think that, um, yeah, I think it's rightly sort of so that you do punish all the athletes and, um, you know, even maybe take it further and say, you know, the officials and judges suspended too and, you know, make it a sort of like, you know, wide sort of stance in terms of um, not wanting to tolerate this from any Russian uh sort of person who is involved in any sort of event and um yeah I mean obviously just punish <laughs> um punish I guess the Russian sort of collective of and especially in these gymnastics events um as a whole because of this one person's actions it also does prevent the Russian government from being able to pressure the Russian athletes into making statements or wearing patches um, that are showing support of what they are calling a special military operation, but everyone else in the world knows is an act of war. Um, but also by removing the Russian athletes from events, um, you additionally avoid an instance where you could have another blood in the water match like we saw in way back in 1956 at the Olympics after the Soviet Union invaded Hungary, um, where athletes from different countries went at it because of what's going on politically. And whilst I think it's far less likely to happen now in 2022, um, just because of like the sheer amount of rules in sport now, especially regarding aggression, uh, that doesn't mean it wouldn't necessarily happen. And in a way, those Russian athletes do need to get protected from someone taking out their feelings about what's happened um but on that note we might end tonight's episode or even if it is on a more serious note so jason michelle would you like to share your social media handles yeah uh you can find me on both twitter and instagram at jace herbs
You can find me on Instagram at m.ch.ll.g and you can find me on Twitter at m underscore ch underscore ll underscore g double underscore. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram and TikTok at dodzy161. This has been Ascending Olympus. You can find Ascending Olympus on Twitter and Instagram at Ascending Olive Pod. Uh, Ascending Olympus is a part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at Edge of the Crowd. You can also read any of our stories, be they about the Olympians, the Paralympians, or just any kind of sport and culture type stuff at www.edgeofthecrowd.com. Ascending Olympus is back at 7.30s on Thursdays from now on because we're not doing daily episodes when there's not Winter Olympics or Winter Paralympics going on. That would be insane but thanks for listening and we're gonna see you next thursday